Hey everybody, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. I'm excited about this conversation we're going to have tonight. My dear sister Cheryl is here. We're going to talk about her journey as a mom, right? Because we all have different journeys. You know what I'm saying? And everybody's journey is not the same. It's all different. And how we come to it, how we embrace it, and what happens along the way. Listen, it's a story worth hearing. Cheryl has a story. I'm telling you. You're going to want to hear her, hear her heart, and hear her honest assessment of what this journey has been like. Um, I am, I'm, I'm always excited and I'm always empowered to listen to people tell the truth, to speak their truth. That's what she's here tonight to do, um, to take us into what life has been like when you have to love and care and give in a way you didn't expect. Huh? What do you do when you had one thing in your mind and something else happens? If you can't relate to that, it's because you're sleeping. <laughs> Everybody can relate to that. That's what Cheryl's had to deal with. And I can't wait to listen to her heart and to really give her the support, the love, the compassion, the encouragement, uh, not just to keep going, uh, but to, you know, to, to go to greater heights and to do even more amazing things. Because in as much as she has given love, I want her to get some tonight, too. I told you it's going to be good, people. <laughs> we got to do some ass talk to Sean. And uh, you guys sent me some really interesting questions, too, okay? You guys are sending some really interesting questions these days. Really interesting questions. So today is no different. And we're going to start with some headlines. Hailey, come on, Hailey. Do what you do. I love a headline. You guys know I love a headline. I love them. And I love a Donald Trump headline. <laughs> Ooh, y'all pray for me, okay? Because I'm trying not to have, you shouldn't have joy when someone else has a problem. But I'm not all the way delivered. I'm saved, but I ain't delivered. <laughs> okay? Let's talk about Donald Trump, people. So apparently Donald Trump is, you know, he's, he's in some legal trouble. Now that the FBI has raided his home and found 300 classified documents that he had sitting around that he never should have taken out of the White House. But after the FBI has raided his house, and after Donald Trump is probably in some legal trouble, not just with the, you know, with the Justice Department, but also with the January 6th committee, apparently he can't find a lawyer. Every major lawyer that Donald Trump has tried to hire to take on and champion his case has told him no. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. I wonder why all the lawyers are telling him no. Could it be... Because Donald Trump is such an habitual liar and so given to falsehood that he could never get on the stand in his own defense without lying and being found guilty of perjury. You think maybe that's why? Or could it be because Donald Trump doesn't pay his lawyers? Hmm? <laughs> oh, God. Or, more importantly, Cheryl, listen to this. More importantly, could it be because... Every lawyer that Donald Trump has had and everybody who deals with Donald Trump either ends up in jail or end up dealing, having to deal with law enforcement. Michael Cohen went to jail. <laughs> Weisselberg is on his way to jail, literally. And Rudy Giuliani has been indicted. Two lawyers and one chief financial officer. You think that's why the lawyers don't want to work for him? Because they're like, you know what? I ain't going to jail for this fool. I think that's probably why. And shout out to all the lawyers who have good sense, okay? You know? 
Because let me tell you something. It's not enough. It's not enough. Here's why I'm doing this story. It's not really about Donald Trump, although I do love a Donald Trump story when things don't go well for him. I'm doing this story so that everybody watching will understand. People don't change just because they're dealing with you. You didn't see that coming, did you? You didn't see that coming. People are not automatically better and more angelic just because you showed up. If somebody has a track record of being mean and nasty and petty and messy for half their life, you are not so cute that all of a sudden they're going to change because they're with you. It don't work like that. If people have a pattern, you need to know what the pattern is and see the pattern and believe the pattern that you see and not invent something in your head to say, oh, he lies to everybody else, but he ain't going to lie to me. He cheated on every other girlfriend, but he ain't going to cheat on me. She was just gold digging for everybody. She ain't going to gold. Yes, yes, this is who they are. Donald Trump is, you know, has a pattern of being crazy. And the lawyers who won't take the job They believe the pattern. I'm trying to tell you, beloved, I'm trying to tell you, don't ever get don't ever get so caught up in somebody's beauty that you stop being cognizant of the patterns of their behavior. And don't you ever believe that there's something about you so gifted, so wonderful, so beautiful that allows you to hook up with a fool. Because if they was a fool before they met you, they're going to be a fool while they laying next to you, too. I enjoyed that. Did you? (laughs) Let's move on. Let's talk about the NBA and voting. Now, I know those two things don't often go together. Speaking of the NBA, happy birthday, Kobe Bryant. Today's Kobe Bryant's birthday. My friend of 20 years, today's his birthday. Uh, But let's talk about the NBA and voting. I was very happy to hear that the NBA will not play games on November 8th, which is Election Day, uh, in order to encourage fans to go to the polls and vote. So all 30 NBA teams will be playing on November the 7th, but nobody's playing on November the 8th because the NBA understands how important voting is, especially now, right? We need people voting. So shout out to the NBA for taking voting seriously and understanding that, you know, we're living in very serious times and we need serious people, you know, in office so that they can make serious decisions. And I don't care what nobody says, okay? Here's my rant. I don't care what nobody says. You're not going to convince me that voting don't matter. Shut up, okay? No, you're not. You're not going to convince me it don't matter. You are not convincing me that voting doesn't matter. All right? If you're a woman and you were thinking about having an abortion or you had an abortion, voting matters to you now. Because the reason it's illegal, the reason Roe versus, Wade, Roe versus Wade was overturned was because Donald Trump was elected and he put in four justices. Voting matters. You're not going to tell me it don't matter. OK, do you think that the American Recovery Act would have been passed putting millions of dollars into regular Americans pockets if a Republican was in office? No, because they don't believe in doing that. Voting matters. <laughs> it matters who's in office, people. Because elections have consequences. You think, you think the climate bill that just passed last week would have passed? Republicans don't even believe in climate change. Now, while Dallas is underwater <laughs> and Las Vegas is having floods, you know what I'm saying? They don't believe in climate change. Yes, it matters. Voting matters, people. Don't tell me voting doesn't matter. You know how I know? Because Gavin Newsom is the governor of the state of California. And last year, he signed a bill that mandated that mandated that every kid in a school in California has to have a meal. 
He signed a bill that mandated that there could be no hungry children in California schools. You think that would have happened if a Republican was in office? Let me help you. No, it would not. Because they don't believe that government should be caring about hungry children. Voting matters. Voting got you from the back of the bus, people. Okay? And voting is the only reason the people who want to put you back in the back of the bus don't have power. So that when you don't vote, you give the people who want you back in the back of the bus again, you give them power to make decisions over what happens with you, your, your country, your whatever. Voting matters. <laughs> Whew. I'm just saying. So, you know, make sure you go out and vote, okay? Just, just go out and do it. Make sure you vote. And stop believing. If voting didn't matter, why is white folks always trying to take it from you? <laughs> huh? Because it matters. All right. Let me keep going. Cheryl, I'm coming to you, sister. I'm just, you know, I, I get going and then I, I, don't, I can't stop. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know. All right, I got two more to do. Um, oh, speaking of rant, Cheryl, listen to this one. Speaking of a rant, this is rant worthy. Did you hear about the black couple? You know, we've all heard stories about how black couples um, go to show their home to the white appraiser and the white appraiser gives them one price. And the black couple, uh, being smart as we are, uh, decides to, to have another appraiser come and have a white person, a white friend, show the home for them. And then the appraiser gives them a whole different price. We've all, we've all heard stories about that, right? Right? Here's another one. <laughs> so this is exactly what happened to Nathan Colony and Shawnee Mutt. One afternoon, uh, they went to have their house appraised, and the appraiser appraised their home with the black couple being seen for $472,000. So then the couple thought that was a little low, right? They looked at the other, the comps, the other prices of homes, and then they, they said to one of their white friends, you know, thank God for our white friends, you know. They said, come on, you show the home to the appraiser for us. We won't, we'll remove everything that makes the home look black. You know, photos, African art, you know what I'm saying, Miles Davis, whatever. So the white friend shows the home to the appraiser, and guess how much they appraised the home for? I'm going to read it to you. $750,000. <laughs> you know, I, I, I only laugh because I can't curse because this is TV. You know what I'm saying? Daytime TV. This is actually on TV, so I, I can't get to cussing. So I have to laugh. That's how I get it out. How in the world... How in the world is the house worth $250,000 less when a black person shows it and then it's worth $250,000 more when a white person shows it? Except that for one reason, racism in America. Don't sit around and tell me there ain't no racism in America, okay? I, 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 I can catalog all the achievements, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, Accommodations Act. I understand all that. Now black men can marry white women. I, I all are wonderful. Enjoy yourselves. Fine, happy for you. But that don't mean ain't no racism. Just because you make achievements and just because you have successes doesn't mean you, that you killed the real enemy. And when and when your home can be two hundred and fifty thousand dollars more valuable when a white person shows it than when a black person shows it, it just tells you there's this racism in this country. There's racism in America, and this story proves it. Conservatives want us to believe that America has turned the page on race and we don't need to talk about it. And some knucklehead liberals are starting to believe this, too. 
I would mention a name, but I don't want to get sued. No, welcome to America, people, where the color of your skin determines the value of your home. Where in of a truth, the color of your skin determines the value of your life. As all lives are not treated and valued equally in this country, because if you won't value my house the same as you value a white person's house, then how am I to believe that you will value my children in the same respect or in the same way? Nowadays, you know, racism happens um, and you got to do what this couple did. They hit him in the pockets. <laughs> this couple, if the, allegedly, this couple is saying this allegedly happened to them. I got to say allegedly. And they are suing the mortgage company and the appraiser. And that's how we have to deal with racism nowadays. Because if I can't change your mind and if I don't have a window into your soul and I can't access your heart, I can at least make being a racist expensive for you. I'm glad the couple is suing. I hope they sue for a lot. Quite frankly, I don't really care. I don't really care. I don't really care how you feel about me or my race. I don't really care. You can think whatever you want to think in private. But when you come out in public and do something crazy, it ought to cost you. All right, I got one more before I talk to my sister Cheryl. Let's talk. This, this, this is a heartwarming story, okay? We're talking to a mom tonight um, who has another heartwarming story. Um, and this story will, it's going to touch you, okay? So uh, Jimmy Amizal, Amizal, it's Haitian, so I got to get it right, Amizal. Um, so Jimmy was minding his own business, living in Haiti, and he spotted um, something in the trash. A group of people were standing around, there was something in the trash. And it turns out uh, that there was a baby that somebody, a baby boy that somebody had left in the trash. And Jimmy decided um, to pick up the baby and take the baby home to his mother, where they bathed the baby and clothed the baby, um, because Jimmy reports in the telling of the story that he just couldn't leave the kid where he was. He felt like he had to do something for this kid. After an investigation, the police couldn't find the parents of the little kid. And so they asked Jimmy, would he be the parent? Would he be the dad? Would he be the caretaker for the kid? And... Jimmy said yes. And four years later, Jimmy is formally adopting the little boy named Emilio Angel. And in July, Jimmy set up a fundraiser, uh, which had a goal of $60,000 to help him defray some of the costs. Because as Cheryl knows, and I know, being a parent is expensive. You hear me? You got to damn near be a millionaire to have a kid. (laughs) They they want money constantly (laughs) for everything. And so, you know, Jimmy set up a, a fundraiser and he wanted to raise $60,000, ended up raising $80,000. Shout out to all the people that gave Jimmy some money. And um, here's why I wanted to do this story, because this story is for your soul, okay? I, I do get a little political and I do get a little cultural. So I might even talk about a celebrity every now and then, but I always come back to my roots. And at my core, I'm interested in your soul. I'm interested in your spirit. I'm interested in your psychological and emotional life. And that's what this story is about. You see, there's nothing more important than somebody saving somebody else's life. There is no greater act than you saving somebody's life. And while you may not pull a baby out the garbage can like Jimmy did, I promise you, you have the power to save somebody's day. Yeah. So how about for the rest of the show and even after the show is over, 
we be committed to the proposition, you and I, that we're going to save somebody's night just by saying hello and being kind. You follow me? You may not save somebody's life, but you can at least save their week from the cynical clutches of despair and despondency just by caring about who they are. Because there are still good people in the world. And I happen to believe that you are probably one of them. So how about you use that goodness, not on strangers, but on the people you know. See there? That was a long way from Donald Trump, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk to my sister Cheryl. We're going to talk about her being a mom and that journey. And you don't want to miss this conversation. Because what do you do when you had one thing in your head and something else happens? We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So those of us who are parents, we know that it is it is not a moment. It's a journey. Right. And the destination and the journey itself, rather, is fraught with all types of peaks and valleys. And the goal is just to get to the finish. Right. Just to finish it. And we hope to finish strong. And those of you who are not parents, then I really want you to listen. Because I want you to understand that um, when you pray for something, you always get what you pray for the way you thought you were going to get it. And you have to really learn how to lean with it, how to rock with it, and how to adjust. Welcome to the show tonight, my dear sister Cheryl. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, Dr. Sean. (laughs) Look at you. Thank you for being on tonight. Thank you for having me. it's, It's my pleasure. I'm honored to have you here. And um, I want you to know that you're in good hands, okay? You're, sa- you're in safe hands. And I want you to let yourself feel, let yourself emote, um, let yourself express, because that's, part of that is the, is the power of your story, okay? Um, and I, I want to go right there, okay? I want to go right there. And let me ask you this, because you, you, you have a daughter. You have a daughter. And yes. When, when did you know, when did you realize that there was something different about your daughter? Sure. Dr. Sean, my daughter, she was 12 months and she still had not said mama. Mm. Every parent waits for that day. We're sitting there, you know, you can't wait for that mama, mama, daddy. And Dr. Sean, with me, I knew that even at 12 months, 18 months. Um, maybe a child may not walk. They all have their own timing with everything. But I knew mm. if she came out of here, she might not walk, but she would talk. <laughs> if she's mommy's baby, she would talk. So I talk to her every day. I'm a talking specialist <laughs> as a mommy. And um and I, and I had a little brother, you know, and I talked to him and he was an early talker and early everything. Cause I'm just, that's, I'm, a, I love children, very nurturing as all moms and dads usually most, but that's when I knew, I knew something was wrong when she was not saying mama. Hmm. So tell and, so, so tell everybody what ultimately turned out to be the case for your daughter as to why she wasn't developing normally. Sure. 
everyone have their children. You go to your two-week appointment with your pediatrician and you have these annual appointments. So she had her her 12-month appointment. She wasn't talking. And then they said, oh, don't worry about it. By the time you come back when she's 18 months, you know, we'll take a look at it. And when I came back at 18 months, Irene still was not um, speaking or eating food with her fingers or chewing and swallowing. And I had read that book. A lot of parents read what to expect when you're expecting and Mm -hmm. then what to expect the first year. And I followed all the milestones. And I noticed that by the time she got at those ages where you really look for speaking and things, she was missing those milestones. So when I went to speak to the pediatrician at her 18-month appointment, they said, oh, we'll wait around till she's two. We'll take a look. I said, let me explain something to you. I'm going to need a speech, speech pathologist today before I leave. Because, again, as a mom, you know hmm. that you, you know your kids. So, right. I, like I said, she might not walk. I'm here 18 months. Okay, hey, she's not walking. You know, I was a late walker. But she's my child. She will speak something. Mama. Baba, she wasn't babbling. She didn't have eye contact. She didn't answer to her name. Mm. And, I, and I'm very animated. So I'm all in her. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and all babies love that. I, I can't go down uh, the market aisle without playing with the little baby, you know? And now all of them respond back. The parents are looking at what the, the child's going through. It's me going, hi, sweetie pie. Hi, sweetie pie. And so I did that to my sugar. 24 7 3 you know before the baby before she be, and 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 no mama no mama okay <laughs> hold up wait a minute mm. No. Mm. so what did the doctor say was the challenge the condition the issue well my daughter irene uh turned 23 last week and um, and I expected to be an empty nester by now, <laughs> but they ultimately, uh, 23 years ago, had no concept for what I was going through. That 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 was the thing. 23 years ago, that was the embryonic start of this whole uh, autism awareness that we mm. all know about today. There was no such thing ever been heard. So Cheryl, that. Cheryl, 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 hold, hold on. So, so when, when I don't, I don't mean cut you off, but I, I want to make sure I get this right. So when you, when you took her to the doctor that day, did they give you a diagnosis at all? They eventually said she has something called autism for which there's no cure. There's no treatment. There's no hope. We don't know if she'll ever speak. So what? So 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 take take me to that moment. You're in the doctor's office, and they tell you this about your child, your daughter, your baby came out of your body, the extension of your love. And when they say this to you, how do you respond, Doctor Sean? It was devastating because they were looking at me, very afraid, mm. because I was looking at them like. They should be afraid that they gonna they need an they need to tell me something. But you know what? Poor doctors. Twenty three years ago, they knew about as much as me and you knew. Mm. That, that you, was the thing. Did you cry? Did I cry? 
I was too mad to cry on that day. Mm. And they were they were too oblivious to what was going on with her too. We were all so puzzled. There was not a definite anything. That mm. was, it was, it who, was. Who were you mad at? Because I'm, I'm fascinated. Who, who, who were you, be honest, who were you angry with? At that moment, I was angry at the doctors because, you know, you expect the doctor to know everything. Yeah. And once you go to the doctor, if the leg broke, you at least want a cast. Mm. If you don't feel well, you give me a prescription. Don't tell me, see you later. That's all I got was bye-bye. And you know what? They really, quite frankly, didn't have any more information. They mm. felt bad. Mm. I was mad at them because you could see that they felt bad because they had no more to give me at that time. Mm. Mm. We have tons of research about it now. Yeah, but yeah. 23 years ago, we had never heard of anything like that. Yeah, it's a different world. So, so there you are with this, with, with this child, this daughter. Uh, you have a diagnosis of something you don't even know what it is. And you go home. And how are you feeling? I went home just like I came. It was very devastating. Because, again, we all leave expecting to come back yeah. with some sort of Band-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of a, a explanation. So it was it was literally just heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Did you accept in despair? Did did you accept your new reality? Or here's a better question. Did you even know what your new reality was gonna be at that moment? I'm a woman of God. I said Irene is the seed of the righteous and she's delivered from autism or whatever they think she has. Mm. Now mm. I went to my faith yeah. and I said, it, it might look like checkmate, but it ain't. God always got one more smooth move. Mm. Mm. So that's where I went. I went to, okay, okay, okay. What you up to, God? Okay, okay. I went up to being optimistic because, again, I know God can do anything but fail. Anything but fail. I could, I just, I said, okay. I just knew he was up to something. Mm. I was devastated, but at the same time, when you know the Lord, you know, I just had that that feeling that felt like you can't make me doubt him. I know way too much about him. Yeah. And so I, I held on to that for a long time. <laughs> it kind of lose hope a few times. Several, several, several times. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah. What's up? Because, yeah, I see that. What, what's, what's, what's happening in your face? What's that? What's that? You know. Uh, it was April this year. I had a milestone birthday. Don't be asking women their ages, okay? That's not your business. But had this milestone age and I it really occurred to me all my friends are empty nesters mm. and um even though I realized this was real you know autism you know she's 23 now so I've dealt with this a long time now I still had a moment of meltdown mm. 
because it really occurred to me because I always planned God was going to fix mm -mm -mm -mm. it. What, what occurred to you? Don't go to God. What occurred to you? It occurred to me that I may never get back to being able to reach my dreams, get back to my ambitions. I had plans. Mm -hmm. I had, and it, it occurred to me, oh, I meant to be Dr. Cheryl Green by now. I meant to be, you know, best-selling author by now. I meant to, I had all these plans and it occurred to me, I may only be a caregiver the rest of my life. Mm. Cheryl, Cheryl, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold because I got to take this break and I don't want you to, to, to open up too much and then I have to leave you. So just keep that right there. All right. Because when we come back, I want to come right back to where we are right now, because that is the place where a lot of people find themselves. Uh, people may not be able to relate to the details of the story, but everybody watching tonight can relate to the notion of I've had to run over here and put out this fire for half my life. And what does that mean for the rest of my life? And that's where you are. Mm. Listen, we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to Cheryl. Cheryl, you know, where, where you left us was actually a very important place. Um, because what I heard you saying was, you have been engaged in this great work of caregiving and loving your daughter for 23 years. But as a mom and as a woman and as a person, there's still dreams and aspirations that you have, things that you wanted to do and to achieve. And now you're having to reconcile yourself to the possibility, and I see it in your face, that it may not happen. You may not get to do what you always wanted to do. And yet the reason that you may not get to do it is because you love someone and you, what is, what does it feel like to be in that conundrum? I appreciate um, being a parent. When you're, when God gives you the, a blessing to be a parent, that's an, a, an appointed calling and being a parent is amazing. But I did think I'd get a chance to get back to normalcy mm. at some point. Mm. And especially as a believer, you know, I believe she'd be the seed of the righteous and get delivered one day. That has been a beautiful thing for me to look at from that perspective. Because even when you don't get that in the scripture from the perspective we think of as Christians or believers, I have to, I'm coming, that's where I'm at, Dr. Sean, today. That's, that's why I'm here for, with you, Dr. Sean. I want some normalcy. <laughs> I want to know what that is again. I've kind of forgot a little bit, mm. but uh, that's 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 where I'm at. Mm. Well, you know, it's, very... it's, it's interesting because <clears throat> I I'm I'm going to disabuse you of the notion of normalcy, okay? Because I think because I think that it can, it can be an undermining aspiration. Um, what's normal for you is not normal for me, and vice versa, right? Uh, your normal has never been what most people think in their heads when they think about being a parent. Because most of us say we want kids, right? But we never consider the possibility that that child may come with a set of challenges that changes our whole lives, right? So there are a lot of people watching right now who are praying to be parents. I want to have kids. And, and they never see themselves in your shoes. And that's why we wanted you here tonight. Because you allow people to consider what most people refuse to think about. And that is, what do you do when you're challenged 
by the love you have for a child who has a challenge that you didn't expect and it changes your whole life. Now, so let, let, me, let me ask you this. Um, because be, be, I disabuse you of normal because before we can talk about normal, let, let's, let's stay in the truth. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me 15 seconds of how you radically, honestly feel when you think that you might not be able to do a lot of the things that you really want to do. No scripture, no God, how you feel. I feel hopeless. I feel disadvantaged. I feel let down. Mm. I, I had a different... I had I was ambitious. I'm a good person. How <laughs> I many? You know, I just don't see how this happens to people like me, almost. But because it's just very real. My situation is very real, and I have my foot on the brake. I I, I have it on the brake. I want to put it on the gas and go a certain direction. And as soon as I I'm doing that, I put it back because. It's, it's very challenging to balance being a mom with a career and being a parent with a child with special needs. Be, especially moms have that mom guilt mentality anyway. We have it anyway. And in my case, um, I knew that I could be successful and enough to have people care for Irene. I knew I could do that. But I didn't want anyone. I didn't want to go off and be successful. And and my and my daughter not my daughter at least my daughter knows more scripture. Than, <laughs> my daughter is very spiritual. She is being she is a godly little child, and that's important. She's she, that's been important to to be a good parent. But now I want to know how to balance yeah. being a mom of Irene and also have a career. Yeah. You know, I, I was just going to say to you, because you mentioned two important things. The first thing is she's 23 years old and you have a legacy of love and commitment that's 23 years long. So at this stage of your journey, if you invited some folks in to help and to support you in this, your daughter already knows the level of your sacrifice and commitment and you know it. And so, we have that bond now. Yes. Yes. And, and so, and so, what I'm saying, what I'm suggesting to you is, I, I see. I, I can't. I showed up tonight to say this to you. I showed up to say to you, you don't have to just be a caretaker for the rest of your life. I showed up to say to you that the hard part for you is going to be to allow other people to support you in caregiving. For you to understand that in order to have what you want. You're going, to have, you're going to have to trust the God that you pray to. You're going to have to trust the God that you quote. And to allow that God to send you support and help so that your daughter can be supported and you won't go crazy. So that your daughter can have the help that she needs and you still be proud of your life. See, I happen to believe, since, 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 let's just go there. I happen to believe that you can have, that you can have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> I do think that. If you get to the place where you are open to not being the only one 
And a part of the challenge for you is you've built an identity as a caregiver. You've built an identity as being the only one. And it's going to be hard for you. I want you to respond to this. It's going to be hard for you to lose some of that identity by allowing other people to come in and help. When I say that, what comes to your mind? Yeah, that's rich, Dr. Sean. And you are on the money. That is exactly where I'm at. And those are the kinds of challenges that I'm navigating right now. I have someone watching my daughter right now, even as we speak. Mm, mm -hmm. And I, I am going to get back to my life too, because my daughter has had 23 years and of, of, of us bonding. And so even with this, this is a big deal for her, for me to be away this long. Mm. I cannot tell you the preparation that I had to put her through to make her extremely elated for me right now, which she is because I can be really animated as a mom. Mm. So I have her upstairs just all excited about mommy and that whole nine. So you're right. It's time. Yeah. It's just, it's just really gonna be new again. And so yeah. that's that's what I gotta do. I really have to take that break off now. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, life and love, they're not finished with you yet. And there's more, there's more for you to do. And uh I think your caregiving as a mom will be a part of your legacy. Um, but there's more to your legacy. There's more that you're supposed to give. And I'm glad tonight that you're open to the possibility of doing that. And, and I, I see in your face that this, this conversation, is, it's affecting you. And where you are is affecting you. But I, but I, I want you to understand this in no uncertain terms, um, that your best days are still ahead of you. And that God knew that he could trust you with a child like this. And God will never trust you with greatness until God knows he can trust you with trouble. And you have proven yourself to be trusted with trouble and difficulty. And now, my dear sister, prepare yourself to be trusted with greatness. <laughs> I feel like throwing my shoe. <laughs> oh, listen, I, shall I'm out of time. I got to let you go. But I, I hope you got something out of this. I really do. Yeah. I, I got a lot out of this, Dr. Sean, and I am so honored that you took this time to, to speak into my life this way. I know that you could not have had those words if it wasn't something that the Lord wanted amplified in me at this time from someone as, as understanding about things like this as yourself. So you have really released me to, yeah. to get on. Yeah, no, let, 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 let what you did tonight to be able to do this interview and this conversation, yes. do what you do going forward to it that allows you some time to do some of the stuff that brings you joy. Because someone like you, you deserve some joy. You deserve some happiness, apart from even caregiving and taking care of your daughter. Listen, thank you for coming on. Listen, everybody, I got I to I take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean. I'm going to say a little more about this on the other side. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Interesting, interesting story, right? You know, Cheryl has has a journey to talk about, and she has one ahead of her. Um, when you've been a caregiver for a long time for someone that you really love, a lot of your identity becomes subsumed and consumed by that function, that role. 
And the hardest part, the hardest part sometimes in life is to let go of something uh, that has defined you so that you can take on something else that might define you more. And I pray that that's where she is. She, and, and, and for everybody watching, you're not a bad parent if you don't just want to be a parent. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're not a bad human being if, if you also want to do some things other than be a parent. In fact, part of what makes you a good parent is that your children get to watch you chase and aspire and accomplish your dreams. I want that for her. She's been an excellent caregiver for 23 years. And I'm hoping that the next 23 years, she gets to be a caregiver with support who's also chasing her dreams. I'll be praying for her. You pray for her too, okay? Let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Highly play the bumper man. So you guys always send me amazing videos. Let's take a look at this one. Hi, Dr. Sean. I'm Sherry from Atlanta, and I need your help. I am really big on support, and I have recently reached out to a few close loved ones um, just to share my success, and I've texted, I've called, and they really haven't returned any texts or calls, haven't really given me the time of day. Should I continue to hound them, or should I just move on with my life with this new normal? Let me know. Ooh, okay, okay. Interesting question. Um, I think I think there's a third option, okay? Um, so let me answer this. I don't think you should move on without them and cut them off or go ghost because I think people run to that too quickly and um, it's not always the right answer. But I do think you should stop trying to solicit a response from people who don't apparently want to give it to you. And there may be reasons why they can't give it to you. There may be things going on in their lives that do not disclose or allow them to give you the attention and the support that you need in this moment. Sometimes people don't give us what we want, but there are good reasons for it, okay? The, the intelligent response in the presence of that kind of situation is to not require that they respond. See, that's what I'm inviting you to do, is to say, I'm still going to be connected to you and I still love you, but what I'm going to do more so is get to the place in my life and in my journey where I reimagine what support is. See, support isn't just when people clap for you because you win or console you when you lose. Sometimes the only support that people can give you is the support of their presence and the support of a legacy of love and relationship that they've offered to you for years. I would say to you, don't judge them entirely by what they're doing right now. And more importantly, don't necessarily need them to do anything in particular in order for you to feel good about what you've done. Because the question is always, how would you feel about your success and your victory if nobody knew you had it but you? Do you need a a, a crowd to validate, to valorize, to vindicate you in the moment of your success? Shouldn't the fact that you know you did this and those among whom you did it know it too, shouldn't that be enough? See, reimagine what support is and realize that people who clap for you and have the power by their clapping to make you happy have the power when they withhold their clapping to make you sad. But if I never needed your applause and if your applause never did anything for me emotionally except confirm what I already feel, then whether you clap or not, I know I won. That's what I want for you. Let's take a break. We'll be right back right after this. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, so somebody DM me this question. My boyfriend wants us to get back together. We broke up because he has mental health issues. But now that I have uh, re-entered the dating pool, I realize that there are a lot of men out there who are also dealing with mental health issues. Is it wrong of me not to want to date people who are struggling with their mental health? Mm, good question, don't you think, two, three? Good question. Um, okay, it's not wrong. Let's take it out of right or wrong, okay? Uh, everybody has the right to date who they want and how they want that person to be. Of course, you have that right, all right? The challenge is, when it comes to mental health, I, I, I don't think I can count on one hand how many people you're going to meet in a bar or a club or, I don't know, wherever you meet people who don't come with a mental health challenge or issue. I mean, mental health is, a, is it, it's, it's proliferating the culture. I'm not so sure that you don't suffer from some kind of mental health dilemma, challenge, issue, whatever it is. We all do. We all have a part of us that re where we could really use a long conversation with a therapist. So I don't know that you're ever going to find anybody who doesn't have some mental health phenomena, right? We'll call it that. But I also don't know if looking for someone who is without blemish, spot and wrinkle is what we should be trying to do when it comes to loving and caring about people. Because you have the right to want what you want and to want people to be healthy so that you can maintain whatever modicum of health that you have. I understand that and I agree with that. But you also have to understand that every now and then when it's a real love scenario, love will send you into somebody's life because same way with Cheryl tonight, you could be trusted to love that kind of person through that kind of situation. And you can't underestimate the, the truth that sometimes, you know, the love you have to offer and the love you have to give is the thing that really helps to restore and save people. And I'm not asking you to save anybody, but I am asking you to understand that nobody comes without a spot, a wrinkle, or a blemish. And that nobody's coming to you without a challenge. And that nobody's coming to you without a situation or a problem. He may not have mental health trouble. He got bad credit. He ain't got bad credit. He has a high body count. And you know what I mean. Right? Doesn't have a high body count. He don't know what monogamy is. It's, you're his first time. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nobody comes without having to deal with something. And I don't want you to get so wrapped up into, you know, running from something that might be a problem that you miss out on someone who might be the perfect challenge in the perfect way, in the perfect area of your life that releases something great and wonderful in you. So, you know, again, you have the right not to want to date people with mental health issues. I'm just saying, don't let that metastasize into you wanting to date people who don't have issues. Because you ain't going to find that, okay? You won't even find that when you look in the mirror. All right. Um, I got another video, so let's take a look at this one. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Lovely Brown, and I am from Cincinnati, Ohio. I recently met someone, and things are moving really, really fast. Do you have any advice on how to slow things down? We only been together for two months 
and he's already talking about getting married. Any advice for me, Dr. Sean? Please. Okay, lovely. Um, first of all, I love your name, lovely. Um, red flags, okay? See? See this? This is my red flag. So if somebody has met you and you've been dating two months and they're already talking about marriage, something ain't right. Okay? Something's not right. Nobody should be wanting to marry you or anybody after knowing them for two months. In fact, nobody healthy goes back to the last question, right? Nobody healthy and sane <laughs> would want to do that. Which so so this kind of this kind of extreme attention, this kind of extreme, you know, investment is normally there's a story behind it. There's more going on, and I see a red flag. And you want me to answer your question directly, succinctly, um, or at least my attempt at being succinct? You tell people quite clearly, we got to slow this down, okay? And if you can't slow down, then I can't be the person that you travel with on this journey that we call love. Because you're, you're doing too much and you're going too fast. And that concerns me. It concerns me that you want to live your whole life in two weeks. It concerns me that you, that you don't see this as a journey, right? A journey that, you know, what, what is... What is six months when you plan on being together forever? And if, and if he has a problem with you wanting to slow things down and stop with all the marriage talk, then you, you kind of see that you're dealing with someone who may be very possessive, right? Very controlling. People want to accelerate the schedule. It's a sign of manipulation. It's a sign of wanting to be in control. It's a, it, could, it could be a sign of being possessive. You don't want no parts of that. So I think you put, the, you put your foot on the brake openly, clearly. We're going too fast. You're doing too much. And don't talk to me about marriage because I don't know you. Okay? And if he takes offense and walks away, then he takes offense and walks away. And you should consider that you dodging a bullet. Okay? Because somebody wants to marry you after two months. And they not, now I can see if you're young, right? If you're young, you, you with me on this? If you're young, if, if, you're, if you're like 18, after two, everybody wanted to get married after a week. But, you know, lovely, with all due respect, you don't appear to be young. You don't seem to be like you're 18. You know, you're probably in your 30s, 40s, 50s, however old you are. You know, somebody that old shouldn't be acting like that. Somebody that old should know better. No, no, this guy, I don't know how old the guy is, but he, no, this is a problem, okay? Because I, I, have, I have seen it be the case where people accelerate a relationship and they accelerate right into something that ended up being terrible. Follow your intuition. Slow it down. Or maybe run. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in tonight. I enjoyed this show tonight. I will see you next time. Y'all be good to each other, okay? Be kind to each other. And remember, identity is what you're making, all right? I love you. How about that? Welcome to Quick Trip. How can I help you? Why don't you ask him? It's my turn to bring snacks for our class bake sale. And? I just told Mama about it five minutes ago. No problem. We've got fresh donuts. Oh, thank you. Next thing he's going to tell me, it's our turn to bring the drinks to soccer practice. (laughs) Steven? It's our turn to bring drinks to soccer practice. We've got Gatorade, Powerade, water, you name it. Thank this nice gentleman for saving your life. Any reason's a good reason for Quick Trip. QT. More than a gas station.